Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Alabama Ag Credit. Buying rural property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops, because sometimes natural resources need financial resources, and while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. And also brought to you by the Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. Finally, a trail cam viewer that actually works. Lowdown's high-speed trail cam viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Lowdown is a dedicated viewer slash photo manager made for one thing and one thing only. Fast, uncomplicated viewing of your trail cam images and videos. Lowdown makes viewing large numbers of images fast and easy. It allows you to easily delete individuals or groups of selected images. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. I'm your host, Joe Bayer, here today with my co-host, Butch Theory. Today, Butch, we're going to hone in on hunting e-bikes, but specifically, we're going to talk about using them in the southeast. I've seen this trend picking up. I mean, it's a western staple almost now midwest folks are using them big time they're popular up in the northeast i see them all around the beach i see them in the neighborhoods but i don't see them that much and i don't see southern hunters talking about them using them as much and i've got some objections myself you know i I can think of some ways that just not really sure how well this would work on on my property on your property and and you know is it even going to be able to translate to public and private land use and they're not cheap you know i mean this is a significant investment so we're going to be talking today and really trying to see around quarters and see if hunting e-bikes really are a good fit in the southeast have you had a chance to get on an e-bike period yep i was about to ask you the same thing i actually did last year up in arkansas hunting with our friends up there they actually carry them at their hardware store now and uh they're pretty sweet man Uh, i forget the exact brand it was there um, that they were carrying, but they haul butt. And the, uh, the ride experience is awesome. I have I have sure. had the ability to ride on one, and uh, the ride experience on flat ground, you know, easy ground is it's amazing. Super you fun. know that Super pedal assisted, you know, motor and but you know I've put them in some harsh conditions down here in some in some pillowy sugar white Gulf of Mexico sand, and I was not impressed with the performance there. And that's kind of got me questioning, like, is this thing going to really be able to handle that that mud we deal with, those ruts we yeah. deal with? You it's know, a little different down here. That that thick under underbrush that we deal with. You know, what's going to happen if I take this thing to the hunting camp? Because as you know, I tend to kind of break my way through things. The learning. Yeah. Some people say learn their way through things. I kind of break my way through stuff. So, yep. We're, we're going to find out. We're going to ask the hard questions today. We are talking to Brian Child of Baku e-bikes brian i want you to first tell me how in the world you got into selling e-bikes man i mean i didn't even know what an e-bike was a few years ago so you kind of had to be ahead of the curve how'd you get into this and and what made you really want to focus on hunting as a you know a segment for e-bikes 
Well, one of our taglines, uh, guys, is uh, built for hunters by hunters. And uh, so myself and my business partner, who is actually a brother-in-law, married my uh, one of my twin sisters, uh, we're hunters and um, we're archery hunters in particular. And um, we loved archery elk hunt. We were in Idaho um, a number of years ago, 2014, 2015, and it seemed like every bull we bugled was always two ridges away and mm. we were trying to figure out how do we get to him quickly quietly and scent free and um you know with a side-by-side -side or a four-wheeler or motorcycle whatever you're riding uh, by the time you get there he's long gone or he's shut up and and um if you try to get there by foot you takes you too long and you stink by the time yeah. you get there so um so we were looking for a way to be more efficient and um and so got off that hunt started looking for opportunities to move quietly and, and quickly and dave my business partner found electric bikes and we uh we said man let's let's see what we can do with this and so it started off with just playing around with some electric bikes at that point in the u.s um, e-bikes really hadn't started to hit but they were big in europe and in asia um, and so we went to a big e-bike fair and uh, brought back some e-bikes and started playing around on them. Realized real quickly that they were great for running around town, but they weren't built for off-road utility style use that we would use them for as a hunter. And um, so we started working with some engineers and, and kind of looking at motors and, and frames and durability components. And one thing led to another and it, it just really took off. It, it's a passion company for us. It wasn't meant to be a, uh, what it is today. Um, it was literally just two guys that, that loved to hunt and were looking for a way to get around the mountain. Looking for a solution to your pain point. Exactly. Yep. It just, it just took off. Very cool. That's a cool story. I want to, I'm definitely want to talk about specifications and how you guys build them because I'm really good at breaking stuff and the environment in the deep South is also very good at breaking stuff. And so I want to learn a little bit more about if e-bikes are really a good fit down here, but I mean, having hunted, uh, in some of the environment you're talking about, I would have loved to have had an e-bike on the last archery elk hunt I was on because I mean, one day in particular, we got on a herd and it was just like what you described. It was like, there's a bull, he's killable, but we can't get to him in time to do anything about it today. And right. so we put him to bed, came back the next morning in the same spot and wolves had moved in and blew the whole, whole thing up, you know, and that's an awesome feeling when you have the right tool for the job but it, it that's the kind of thing where when you deal with a situation like that you're like i need something and it sounds like exactly what you guys have created so you guys took e-bikes that were already popular and proven and then really took that and modified it for hunting so tell me about how a hunting e-bike is different from say just your standard e-bike that you may see at the beach or around town well, it starts with, um, you know, the two things that make it an e-bike, which is a motor and a battery, right? Um, they look similar to, to a fat tire bike um, that you'd see on the street or on the mountain 20 years ago. But the difference is they have a motor and a battery um, that allows you to um, go further and do things that you normally couldn't just through leg power. So what makes an, a hunting e-bike specific or, a, you know, in particular, the Baku hunting e-bikes is that we use the heavier duty 
more powerful motors. Um, so kind of like, you know, if you were looking at vehicles and you were saying, hey, I want to I want to pull a 20,000 pound toy hauler and I want to get up in the mountains and I want to camp and I want to you're not going to go look at a Honda Civic or a Toyota Corolla. You're going to go look for a Ford Power Stroke or a, a GMC Duramax. Well, we found the motor that is the most durable, heavy duty, off-road capable motor that we could find. Um, we run the Bafang Ultra Mid-Drive motor. It's a heavy duty motor with all metal gearing. There's no plastics, there's no Teflon, no nylon gearing in them, like a lot of urban e-bikes would have. Um, so it's meant for pulling, climbing, carrying, and off-road rugged use. Um, creates a ton of torque. Um, and that's what you need. As a Western hunter, we're, we're climbing a lot of mountains. And so uh, we need to be able to have the torque to be able to climb. You know, you're talking about the specific conditions, like you're talking about having to go up hills, go up mountains. You need that, that strong motor being able to climb. Also, you need those internals to be strong. I mean, it's one thing for it to climb the first time. Okay. Uh, exactly. but you heat that puppy over up and, over and, over and you start over, dealing yeah. with plastic and all of a sudden you find you find the problem a year later at right that usually the day after the warranty. <laughs> That's right. That's the way those products seem to work. We don't have to deal with mountains too much in the deep south. We've got some for sure, but what we deal with a lot more of, at least on the properties that I hunt, are really muddy conditions. You know, a lot of ruts, a lot of uh, a lot of issues like that, where you know ground clearance is an issue, high centering is an issue. You, you don't really have to worry about a high centering. I wouldn't imagine too much on an e-bike because you just pick it up and move it. And one of the things, you know, when, when I first started using electric golf carts, it, we had a guy, we had a guy at the hunting camp and he got stuck and got stuck in the mud and we went down to get him out. And I'm looking at the road that he went down and he's stuck. And I said, man, why didn't you just do this? And I just kind of pulled into the into the pine plantation and went around the mud hole. You know I mean? That was, you don't have to go through the mud hole. You can go around it. And that's a, a pretty, I would think of be an advantage with an e-bike is just being able to get For off sure. and walk it around the obstacle. But is, is that the case? I mean, is that what you recommend to guys? If you're dealing with a really piece of tough terrain, do you get off and walk the bike or can they handle it? Well, they can certainly handle it, but there's times when maybe it's for safety reasons. You know, you've got a big pack on, you've got a weapon on, maybe you're pulling a trailer that it might be safer and and might be a better option to actually walk. Um, our bikes are built with a walk assist mode, so you can actually put it in a walk assist mode. You hold a button down on the handlebars and the motor turns on and it actually walks in, you know, one to three miles per hour, depending on what gear you're in, uh, which which is great for things exactly like that and and um, also for when you when you've got you knock down some game and you've got to get your animal out of there sometimes um, it's just a lot of weight and as capable as these bikes are like any other vehicle there is a, a load capacity at some point it can't climb a hill or it can't do certain things because of the load it's carrying and so no we have a walk assist mode and that's certainly something that uh, is utilized a lot by our customers which I could see that, you know, a lot of times we, you know, you know it, it, Brian, we'll, we'll, we're deer draggers around here. You know, we don't necessarily have to field dress our deer most of the time. We're going to drag them to the closest vehicle and get them back to camp and deal with them in that environment. You know, but we will kill some deer back in the woods, at least. And I'm talking on, on private land here. Of course, the public land hunters have a, uh, have a case for, for, for an e-bike, but we will deal with that. And just being able to weave in and out of, 
you know, in our case, a lot of times heavy timber, being able to get a vehicle back in there to that animal, is going to help you in getting it and recovering it as opposed to having to drag it to the nearest yes. road or, uh, exactly. whatever it may be. I mean, you are predominantly a Western hunter, but you've, you've tested these, you've tested e-bikes in Southeastern conditions and you talk to a lot of people from around the country who are hunting with these bikes. If we want to focus on specifically private lands, you've got a really good case for an e-bike on public land because a lot of times golf carts, UTVs, four-wheelers, things like that are just not legal. Um, so where e-bikes are legal, I think it makes a ton of sense. It's a no-brainer. But for private land guys, what what's the feedback you get from them? What do they really like about it where they're not dealing with the bugle and elk, they're dealing with whitetails or turkeys? Yeah. Yeah, guys, I would uh, honestly, I, I don't know that we've ran the stats on this, but I would wager to guess that um, we sell as many e-bikes to people that use them on private ground as we do to those that use them on public ground. Um, you mentioned one of them, which is e-bikes are very nimble. Um, mm -hmm. Our bikes weigh 70, 75 pounds. And so if you're in an area where there's a lot of deadfall or you have to get off and move it, you're not lifting, you know, a 240 pound motorcycle or you're not having to, you know, you can get around obstacles a lot easier, um, get over obstacles a lot easier. They're the, the interesting thing about an e-bike is they're they're quiet. They're essentially silent. Um, and so as you're maneuvering through the trees or along a tree line, if the whitetails see you or if the, if the game sees you, it doesn't seem to spook them like like somebody walking um, in does. It certainly doesn't spook them like somebody on a four-wheeler or something that's uh, gas-powered. Uh, they, they're curious. They'll look and they'll watch you, but they seem to let you just kind of move right on past them because they're they're just not spooked because there's no noise. They're not used to seeing it. And more times than not, you'll go past them. You'll be able to lay your bike down, turn around and come back in on them, and they're in the same spot. Um, so, yeah, we, we sell e-bikes to people on public land. I would say every bit as much as we do those that are on public land. And um, it's because you're able to move quietly. You're not going to spook game. Uh, they're very nimble and easy to transport. And uh, and then they're just, you know, like our bikes, like I say, they're powerful enough that you can use them as a utility style bike. You can haul your tree stand in there. You can set your tree cameras up. You can, uh, or your trail cams. You can haul your gear in. You can pull your, your game out um, if you need them. Yep. All those things uh, make it very attractive. I mean, to be able to, go all the way all the way to your stand and get back safely is a big deal. I guess the first thing that comes to my mind on my place would be probably battery life and the range of this thing. Of course, you know, I'm a little lighter than Joe. I would think that's going to be an effect too. Uh <laughs> uh gun, your pack, you know, all of that stuff kind of a gear. Do we have is there a rule of thumb as far as battery life and range? Kind of walk us through what we're working with there. There is with our bikes. Um, I can't necessarily speak to, to other bikes out there, but I can tell you, um, as I mentioned before, there's really two things that any guy that's looking to buy an e-bike uh, to use for hunting purposes or or whatever purpose you're looking for. Number one, you're going to look at a motor and there's two different types of motors. There's a motor that's called a mid-drive, goes in the middle of the bike and a mid-drive motor, as I mentioned um, with Baku, we use the Bafang Ultra mid-drive motor. 
mid-drive motors are built for for torque they're built for climbing they're built for off-road use whereas a hub drive motor is built more for if the if the motors in the rear wheel or in the front wheel a hub drive is built more for um, urban riding more for they don't create as much torque and they're built more for just kind of flatter terrain rolling hills they don't pull as much weight they can't carry as much gear so that's the first thing the second thing to speak to your question which is about battery and distance just like going to the grocery store you can buy a nine volt battery for three bucks from a brand you've never heard of or you can buy a duracell or an energizer for 12 bucks it's not just the brand name that that increases the price of that battery it really is the composition and the makeup the cell the cells that are used inside the battery that hold a charge for an extended period of time at baku we use a long-lasting lithium-ion cell battery they're built to hold a charge for an extended period of time and a good rule of thumb is about two miles per amp hour so um, if you buy a, a battery that's a 48 volt 21 amp hour battery a guy that weighs about 180 pounds or so is going to get right around 40 to 45 miles out of that wow. 20 amp hour battery now if you weigh 280 just like your pickup truck is carrying more weight and and you're going to use more battery just like you'd use more gas so the same principles go with an e-bike as it would with a vehicle if you're climbing steep hills if you're pulling a lot of weight um, then you're going to and, and maybe even temperatures if you're riding in cold temperatures i know in the south you're not dealing with the cold temperatures like they are in minnesota and some of these midwest and, and western states but the things that zap battery life are temperature climbing and then the weight that it's pulling so those are going to impact distance but to give you an idea if you're using a uh, a quality battery with that's a long lasting lithium ion cell battery you're going to get roughly two miles per amp hour brian you know i like to leave a little bit in reserve and so if you say you know you're going to get two miles per amp hour you think you're going to get a 45 mile range i'm probably going to want to leave you 10 miles in the in the tank you know and get back to camp and I would think 30 miles of range is plenty for a day of hunting, even a couple of days of hunting for most southeastern, you know, deep south hunters. We're not typically having to travel huge distances. Um, but, you know, getting back to some of the conditions and things that you find, I mean, for most people that I would imagine maybe hadn't been on a bike in a long time, they probably start to think about the old days where the chain slips off and they're having to deal with this kind of stuff. And I just wonder, like, do you see any issue with dense underbrush? You know, if you're, if you're taking that bike where say down an old logging road where you've got thick grass and, uh, or big mud puddles and, you know, things of that nature, do you guys have any trouble with anything along those lines when it comes to running an e-bike? Is there something that people need to think about from a maintenance in the field or, or repair in the field perspective or, I mean, you just, you mentioned the nimbleness of these bikes. I mean, do you just recommend to just try to avoid what you can? Well, certainly. I mean, kind of like, you know, a motorcycle or a side-by-side -side or a, a pickup truck, you, you have to be careful not to smack logs and smack rocks and things. They certainly can um, bend components or break components. I would say that the uh, Achilles of any bicycle, um, mountain bicycle that has gears is the, the drivetrain. Uh, so the derailleur system. So your derailleur is essentially what's going to shift your gears across the cogs of your rear cassette. And if you smack that derailleur on a rock or you smack it on a log, um, then you can want 
on bend the derailleur or the derailleur hanger, or you could break the derailleur and, and now you're unable to shift the bike. You could, you could maybe put it into first gear and keep it in just one gear, but you're unable to shift it at that point. So yeah, you certainly are going to want to be careful. You can't just you know, go out and blazing trails and uh, bushwhacking and not know what you're riding over because because it can impact the bike. What we do at, at Baku is is we sell what's called a trail side repair kit. And uh, this trail side repair kit has all of the things that you th- that you may need um, if something were to arise in the field. So if you were to to break a chain, for example, it comes with extra links and master links. If you were to bust a derailleur, uh, you can have an extra derailleur hanger. Um, it comes with all of the wrenches and and the uh, the tools that you would need to change a tire or to or to fix something on the bike. It's not necessarily the the shop kit that you'd have at the local bike shop uh, that's going to necessarily tear a bike completely down, but it's got all of the necessary things that you'd need in there um, to to fix a flat or to fix a chain or to fix a derailleur um, or anything that you might do out on the trail. When I was a kid. We were dealing with bad roads a lot on our hunting properties, and I used to never understand why the old guys just, we're just going to avoid that road. I'm like, hey, Kim, why we got four-wheel drive? We got four-wheel drive. Let's go down that road. It's faster. We can get down there faster. You know, that's because they were the ones the next week who were crawling up underneath the truck, spraying everything (laughs) off. And I was just didn't have to do any of that. And as I've gotten older and I realized, oh, mud gets caked onto things, mud attracts water. Water creates corrosion, corrosion creates problems. And now I'm talking to my son going, why don't we just take the good road around? You know? <laughs> exactly. So when it comes to bikes, um, is water intrusion an, an issue in some bikes? I mean, do you guys do anything in particular to prevent those those kind of issues? Absolutely. Yes. Um, and we do. For those that understand IP ratings and kind of um, water resistant ratings, um, our motor has an IP rating of 66, which is essentially waterproof. It can be submerged in water um, for an extended period of time and be just fine. Um, our batteries are also encased. They have an IP rating of 65. We don't recommend that they're submerged for an extended period of time, but they certainly will stand up to the elements of rain, snow, driving through streams and puddles and all of that stuff so our bikes are built knowing that you're going to use them when do we hunt well we hunt typically in the spring and in the fall and that's when we're coming across puddles and mud and and all of that kind of stuff so um yeah we 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 definitely take that very serious and that's you know that's comes back to the the definition of a hunting bike as opposed to some of these urban bikes you know you'll see Lots of companies out there saying, oh, this is a fat tire bike that is capable and can go off road. And the first thing you have to look at, like I mentioned before, is is it a hub drive motor? So if it's got a motor that's just in the rear hub, well, it's it, you can take it off road, but it's not really built for that. And it's going to wear out over time. It's, it can't climb. The motor's going to break down over time. It'll do just fine on rolling hills, but it's not going to be that off road utility bike like like our bikes are. I would say that probably my my biggest reservation and having one of these so far is uh we have a place that's in the middle of alabama we also have a place that's in north mississippi like straight up delta and it is gumbo mud we we like to call it i mean it'll it'll you ride a golf cart through there and it'll literally be like gumballs like you'll be knocking it off with a sledgehammer it is so thick and sludgy Mm -hmm. do you guys have anything to combat that or you just literally have to avoid it 
you have to avoid it. It's like, I, I don't know that there's a vehicle out there. I don't know that there you know, is either. That, that stuff, that clingy mud that just seems to suck and stick to everything. No, and that comes back to the discussion about the bike being fairly nimble and lightweight. Um, it sure. does give you an opportunity to maybe get around some of that a little bit easier than you could in a bigger vehicle that you just couldn't move around it without mm. sinking to its axle or something like that. So you do have that option, but no, if you're riding it through some sticky, clingy mud, it's going to stick to those tires just like it would the tires of your four-wheeler and and it'll gum up and it'll, it'll slow you down. At least it sounds like you'll be able to wash it off pretty good and not have any issues at least. No, yeah, and 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 I use a power washer on mine. Like I say, right. yeah, that's a great idea. As well. Sixty-six, you can you can bring that back and power wash it off, and get it right off. I like the nimble aspect of of the e-bike because, like you mentioned, it's a lot easier. I'm not to sure. Just, I'm not sure if you and nimble go in the same sentence. Well, that's but. that's going to lead into my next question. <laughs> so y'all remember what Bush just said, but you know, if you can just avoid the, you know, the obstacle, that's awesome. Cause then you don't have to deal with pressure washing it later if you don't have to. Nope. Yeah. And and so that's a big deal. You know, thinking about the way that we hunt, usually it's kind of like this, I don't know, like a shuttle bus leaves the camp every day, you know, and if you've got a several hunters, everybody jumps on the UTV or everybody jumps on the, the golf cart and it's like, okay, we're going to drop you off here. We're going to drop you off there. And by the time you look at like what it costs to run a UTV and run a golf cart, it's like you could have two, three, four e-bikes and everybody can go their separate way and do their own thing and take the take the shortest route or take the you know the easiest route so that's a big a big deal too but thinking back to capacities and whatnot butch mentioned i'm 250 pounds 6 foot 5 i need a bike that can handle not only me but also the gear that i'm going to bring and of course i mean i pretty much kill something every time i go out you know so Definitely. uh got to be able to haul my game back but truly, like, do you guys have like a rule of thumb in terms of carrying capacity? Butch is about, you know, maybe 180 pounds. You know, what should every hunter make sure that they have in terms of carrying capacity? Or do you recommend that, you know, you just go to a trailer and it's more about towing capacity? How do y'all tackle the need for gear and hauling things around? Yeah, well, and that really kind of becomes a personal preference thing. We certainly carry the pannier bags, the, the saddle bags that go on the rear pannier rack. We also carry top pannier bags, so you can carry a lot of gear on your bike specifically. Um, but I, but I do like pulling a trailer behind me. So um, it's nice to have, you know, we sell a few different styles of trailers. Uh, we have one called the folding deer trailer that very lightweight. It's two wheels. And um, I like pulling that behind me because if I if I do take a whitetail or I take a I take a, a mule deer or, or antelope or even even elk, you can quarter that thing out. You can strap it to that trailer and you can pull it right out with you. So it is nice to to have a trailer. It depends on where you're going and what kind of gear you're hauling with you. Uh, but with regards to weight. A good rule of thumb, you know, you'll see you'll see people out there advertising, oh, our, our bikes will carry 400 pounds and so on and so forth. And ours will too. We, we, we recommend somewhere around 300 to 325 pounds, but we've got multiple NFL players riding our bikes. I know we sold a couple bikes to some offensive linemen for the, for the Las Vegas Raiders this last year, and they've sent us countless pictures of them using them in the field. And these guys are pushing 370, oh, and, then they're, and that's without all their gear on. So they will absolutely carry that weight, but it's kind of like your pickup truck. If you're hauling a lot of weight all the time, you're just going to wear through components a little quicker, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to go through 
through chains a little quicker. Maybe you're going to change change your your front sprocket and your rear cassette a little bit more because it's going to have a little more wear and tear on the on the drivetrain and the components of the bike just because it's packing and carrying more weight. But we we recommend anywhere from 300 to 325 pounds on the bike and then you can pull 150 to 200 pounds on a trailer behind you so um you you can really haul a lot of weight um with with our bikes yeah it sounds like that's not really much of an issue if you just kind of pay attention to it whatsoever right so you mentioned a few of the, the replacement parts there things that are easily replaceable that you can do yourself that aren't a huge deal one of the biggest pain in the butts to me with my golf cart is the expensive expensive batteries and it doesn't seem like they last very long it seems like every two or three years i'm having to replace these lead acid batteries yeah what about that as far as an e-bike goes like what what can we look for you know expenses in the next coming years and if that battery does go out can you just replace it or what's this what's the process there yeah unfortunately batteries are just doggone expensive uh, lithium-ion cell batteries are expensive um, having said that um, we get more longevity than two to three years it's kind of like your car battery guys will get anywhere from five to seven years here again it depends on how well you take care of it you keep it in a in a garage where it's you know, in a good temperature, maybe in the in Minnesota where it's minus five in the winter time, pull that battery off, bring it in the house, keep it in room temperature throughout the throughout the winter months, and it's not sitting outside or sitting out in a nice cold garage. But yeah, we'll get we'll get five to seven years out of our batteries, and and they can be expensive, anywhere from you know our batteries are anywhere from seven hundred to to twelve hundred dollars, depending on how big of a battery you get. But if you can use that thing for five, six, seven years, then then you feel a whole lot better about it yeah and 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 to answer your question with regards to um down the road so we build our bikes with readily available components we try not to use a lot of proprietary components because we know there's going to be after sales service people are gonna and not everybody lives we're a u.s based company we're out of northern utah not everybody lives in in a in Utah or in, in the surrounding areas. And so they're going to need to take it. Not everybody's a bike mechanic. They'll take it to their local bike shop or they'll work on it a little bit themselves. They need to be able to get the parts. They can certainly purchase them through us, but we try to put readily available components that you could get online or through a bike shop uh, that will that that will allow you to, to maintain your bike and, and keep it in good running condition and so we do the same thing with our batteries we run a battery right now our most common battery on our bikes is what's called the dorado battery it's uh, a battery that attaches to the outside of the frame and when i say dorado that's kind of like the model that's kind of like a nine volt or a triple a or or a double a battery and yeah you can take that battery off one of our bikes and snap it on another bike uh, you can pull it you could have three or four of our bikes and use the same battery on all bike on every one of those bikes like that you guys use the you know interchangeable readily available components a big deal man when i break stuff i don't break stuff like next no, to it's the, something that's impossible the to place find. that sells them you know i'm always out in the middle of nowhere i gotta try yeah. to freaking yeah patch this thing together maybe run to to, to the closest town 45 minutes away and try to find yeah. something you know that'll work and uh that's just a given you mentioned you guys are in Utah. It gets a lot colder in Utah than it does in Alabama and Florida. However, it gets cold here. And when you add the humidity into the cold, I, I would rival, I've, I've hunted the, the, those areas and I would rival our cold temps with Western cold temps, even though on the thermometer, it doesn't look as cold. That being said, right. how do the lithium batteries hold up 
you mentioned wanting to keep them in as much of a climate controlled environment when you're storing it, but that's not an option for a lot of guys at, at their hunting property. So how yeah. do they hold up and are you going to have any issues on a really cold morning? Yeah. So great question. Yeah. When I, when I mentioned bringing them inside when you're storing them, that's just because you're trying to take good care of them through the winter months or whenever it is that you're not using the bike and it's not exposed to extreme temperatures, hot or cold. But with regards to the hunting conditions, yeah, we're, we're out there in those frigid, you know, Minnesota winters or Wyoming winters and, and we've kind of solved the problem. So this, about uh, 2018 we had some guys in minnesota that they would pull their bike off the the truck and and as soon as they jump on it they would charge the battery at the house they jump on their bike to take off and it would drop to zero and um you know many times in, in companies we we solve or we we figure things out because we have to solve a problem and uh we had these customers and they said boy every time we jump off we pull the bike out of the back of the truck and we go to ride it all of a sudden it drops to zero and the battery won't turn on and so i got asking them questions well what's the temperature like what was it like at the house when you left well they're leaving the house and it's 10 degrees they're driving with the windshield of who knows what it is and they jump off and they're hunting in 10 degrees well what happens is there's a battery monitoring system we put a battery monitoring system in our batteries and what that battery monitoring system does is it it monitors every cell within that battery so those cells run in a cycle and it's it's watching the chemical makeup of each one of those batteries and the temperatures and everything that's going on within the cellular activity of that battery and if it notices something that is off even a few cells that are off it will shut the battery off to protect it and so what happens is you might have one cell of the battery or a certain cluster of cells that get really cold and then you've got other cells that are a little warmer and it triggers the battery monitoring system to shut off and so what we've done at Baku is we designed what's called the battery jacket and the battery jacket is a battery essentially just a, a a jacket that wraps around the battery and the down tube of the bike it has a heating element on the inside of it and that heating element has a, a little cord that comes out that you can plug into the battery itself the usb port of the battery itself and it self warms it maintains the temperature of the battery and so while you're out there hunting you don't have to worry about the temperature anymore the battery will actually maintain its its optimal temperature so that you get the maximum capacity out of that battery while you're while you're out out hunting or on the mountain very cool yeah i love that you guys have dealt with the issues you know what i mean we do a lot of articles a lot of podcasts where we're we're doing what we're doing right now we're kind of trying to troubleshoot problems that people face after they buy something so that the people who haven't bought something yet don't have the same issue and you know that's yeah. always a struggle with any any purchase is like you get it sounds good on paper and then all of a sudden you get to using it in the field and you find the problem you didn't think to ask questions about. Yeah, yeah, and a lot yeah. of the innovations in companies are born from that problem right there. And you yeah, guys have solved yeah. it. That's cool. I think that that's the, that's the thing. When I mentioned built by hunters for hunters, we're out there using them and abusing them and figuring that stuff out too. And now we have, you know, thousands and thousands of customers that are giving us great feedback. So there's, there's really not, many issues that we hear about now that we haven't solved or figured out uh, from, you know, seven, eight years of being in business. Yep. That's right. Um, so Joe breaks things. I'm a little bit of a crasher. I'm a little bit of a test on me here. <laughs> I uh, had a little bit of an electric scooter incident earlier this year. 
nobody wants to think about getting hurt for sure. And I'm sure it's not a great thing to talk about in your world, but I'm going to crash this thing. I would have to imagine. <laughs> what are some of the, uh, what are some of the things that you see um, that we should be aware of? You know, what are some of your accidents? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, first off is um, I think it's really important to be thinking about your weapon. Where is your weapon at? Because if you crash, where is it? Number one, you don't want to hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. Uh, But two, you also want to protect that weapon because those are usually we put a fair amount of money in our weapons. So if you're I, I personally like to carry my weapon on me. So I carry a backpack that I can put my bow on or my rifle on and it's held securely. It's on my back so that if I come off my bike for whatever reason i i'm already in the mindset of protecting my weapon that's on my back as opposed to having it exposed now if i'm riding in an area where it's a wide open logging road and the risk of you know crashing like it would be on a single track trail is minimal then then i'm definitely gonna be more open to using you know one of our our gator grips or more one of our bull racks that sits on my handlebars and and then it's a lot easier to pull off and get to than it is on my backpack but i think think about your weapon and the train that you're riding and if you're riding single track trails and you're riding an area where it's really tight and maybe it's really rocky or a you know really muddy area where you think you could have a tire slip out from underneath you then uh, be thinking about your weapon and and kind of how you would get off that bike and protecting that and the gear that you have but then it's just common sense i think riding within your abilities um you know most hunters aren't cyclists um they're not riding in the tour de france and and so we get that that's why we designed and engineered our frames the geometry of them put you in a position that is not meant to go race it's meant for stability and control on the trail so our our from from the very foundation of the frame to all of the components uh, to the tires that we use you know we use the maxi's minion tires and it's it's because number one it has the very best tread on it it gives you the thread per inch is a is off the charts it gives you great rubber the rubber grips the road really well it's not a hard rubber but it's not too soft so you get some good distance out of your out of your tires but it's also the tread on the front tire is directional and it's different than the tread that's on the rear tire and it's because the front tire is more for that control and stability whereas that rear tire is more about maintaining the back of the bike and giving you traction to push you forward and so all of those things come into play when you're thinking about safety you 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 definitely want to use a bike that is built for what you're asking it to do all right folks we'll be right back y'all take a minute and check out some of the businesses that make this show free for you Every episode uh, this week is brought to us by Great Days Outdoors magazine. If you're frustrated with typical hunting and fishing magazines and tired of reading content, then for guys that are up in the north or up in the Midwest, check out Great Days Outdoors magazine. Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't fish or hunt in your home state. You can pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and it will help you become a better Southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, Bass Pro Shops, or you can save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. Also brought to you by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer? If so, try Southern Buck Food Plot Blends. Your deer will love it. At Southern Seed and Feed, they specialize in making textured feed for horses, cattle, sheep, goats, 
hogs, chickens, small animals, and wildlife. Their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated to promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors throughout the South. So visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. So Brian, you know, there's some public ground here close to me and I've hunted a little bit turkey hunting talked to some folks that really like to deer hunt it a lot and you know they were telling me about some of the challenges you know hey we should really there's a lot of uh I, w- I would call it pressure there's a lot of other people using that piece of public ground that are not hunters people out walking their dogs there's folks out riding you know mountain bikes there's people out just using the ground and those guys find the best success when they get away from a lot of that human pressure and to do that though, it's, it's a lot of, you burn up some boot leather doing that and similar situation, like what you were talking about with, with elk. And I've said to them on several occasions, like, man, why don't you get an e-bike and oh well, you know, it's no motorized vehicles and kind of took that at face value with them is a, is an e-bike are all e-bikes considered motorized vehicles? Is there, is there any scenario where on a motorized vehicle, uh, no motorized vehicle, uh, regulation where an e-bike can still be used? Yeah, no, not all e-bikes are considered motorized. Um, and it's important to understand the regulations, certainly within your your area, you know, within your state or within your region or county that you live in. Uh, but for the most part, e-bikes are class uh, broke down into three classifications, class one, class two, and class three. Uh, and to define those classes, a class one e-bike is no greater than a 750 watt motor, has uh, pedal assist only. So in other words, you cannot use the throttle and the motor does not assist you beyond 20 miles per hour. Now they set they set it at 750 watts because 750 watts is the equivalent of one horsepower. So they determined that if a, if a horse can use a trail, then um, an e-bike with one horsepower should be able to use a trail. So class one e-bikes um, are for the most part throughout the US are considered non-motorized and many trails that if you can ride a regular pedal bicycle, you can ride a class one e-bike. Class two is exactly the same, but it allows you to have a throttle. So a class two is 750 watts, motor doesn't assist you beyond 20 miles per hour, but you can use a throttle. Class three is the exact same thing, 750 watts, no throttle, but the motor can assist you to 28 miles per hour. So essentially the difference between class one and class two is class two, you can use a throttle, class one, you cannot. And the difference between class three and class one is they're both non-throttle, they're both 750 watts, but class three, the motor can assist you up to 28 miles per hour, whereas class one is 20. So no, that, that, that's really important to understand. Understand the regulations that are in your area, uh, where you're gonna be hunting, where you're gonna be riding, where you're gonna be recreating, but for the most part, class one e-bikes are considered non-motorized. That's a game changer right there. That is so fast. I cannot imagine a scenario in the woods where you're going 20 or even 20 or that's crazy fast. I mean, specifically right. you, but you, do I not do not need to, need to be going <laughs> anywhere near that fast. That's a fact. Uh, 28 miles an hour on a bike is that's fast. getting it. That's yeah. fast. Yes. That scooter was going about that fast. I can tell you yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, that really is big advantage. If, especially if, if you are 
hunting an area that is non-motorized access only, I, I didn't know that to be able to go to a class one bike and, and get that advantage. That's and huge. Think, and then for a lot of guys down, you know, in the deep South, they do a mix of both. They hunt a little pile, a little private and a little public. And, uh, to be able to have a, a bike that can do both, you need to make sure you pay attention to those specifications and get that class one. Well, and, and that's a really great point too, Joe. Our bikes uh, we have built uh, that they will meet all three classifications. So we have the technology called on-demand programming, ODP. And essentially through the display, you are able to choose class one, class two, or class three. So if you're a, a private landowner, uh, but you want to come hunt out west and you're going to be hunting public ground and it's class one e-bikes only, you can go into the ODP settings and set it at class one. It disables the throttle. It drops the motor capacity down to 750 watts and won't assist you beyond 20 miles per hour. But then if you go somewhere that you're allowed to use class two, you go back into the ODP. It literally takes you seconds. You can go back into the ODP programming, set it at class two. It enables the throttle or you can go into class three. We actually have a class four as well, and it's unrestricted. So essentially you can go in and select class four and it takes it up to a peak output of 1500 watts and allows there's unlimited speed that the motor will assist you to. And um, it allows you to have the throttle. So um, we've kind of taken, we're really trying to help not only the consumer, but also those that are trying to regulate this, because we recognize that there has to be some regulation. You can't have people out just ripping up the side of the mountain. We don't want motorcycles on all the bicycle trails, and, and we recognize that, but we have to find a, a way that we can coexist. And so Baku has has uh, worked extensively in developing technology that allows you to be able to set your bike an officer can come up and look at your bike and see right through the display that you're on class one and that the throttle is is disabled and know that you are riding within compliance. That is a That's really, a really cool innovation, mm -hmm. like much like your battery jacket that keeps that battery monitoring system, you know, in working order. That's a problem that hunters have dealt with that y'all have fixed and obviously that's a no-brainer i mean i didn't even realize that 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 was possible but to be able yeah, to just go in and select your class now you've got to a worry bike about that, it yeah, yeah well you know you've got what you need when you need it and you know you probably need to create like a class 0.5 for butch though maybe govern that down <laughs> to about definitely. five six miles an hour I think. yeah about right yeah. there's your next about innovation right. um yeah. when you talk about e-bikes of course the something that's on everybody's mind always is, is the cost. So talk a little bit about the cost effectiveness of, you know, a hunting e-bike versus other methods of transportation when you're hunting. Yeah. So you get what you pay for, right? I mean, it's the old, we, we probably use that too much, um, but, but there's some truth to it. If you're going to, if you're going to hunt on an e-bike, then it has to be built with the components, the motors, the batteries, the frames that are built to withstand the demands that you're going to put on it and so um, if you're going to buy a hunting e-bike that's built to to climb and to pull gear and to carry weight and to do all the things that you would want to do you're looking you know our bikes start anywhere from uh, $3,500 and go all the way up to $8,000 we have uh, we have kind of a class of bikes called our Jaeger models um, 
and that there's nobody on the market that that has what the Jaeger models have on them. We have a full suspension Storm Jaeger, we have a full suspension Mule Jaeger, and we have our our bike that we've been selling to the military and first responders uh, for the last couple of years that we've just now made available to the to the public um, that also uses what's called the Roloff Speed Hub. And so our Jaeger models have an internal gear hub system. It's a mid-drive motor, but all of the gearing is located inside the rear hub of the bike. So it eliminates the need for the derailleur. You don't have any of the drive chain issues that you might have with a regular mountain bike. All of the gearing is housed inside the rear hub. So literally with the flick of a wrist, it's, it's just a twist throttle shifter. You can shift from first gear to 14th gear or vice versa. You can be cruising across the mountain at, you know, 25 miles an hour and hit a hit an incline of 15 degrees and drop that thing down into third gear and, and climb right up the mountain. It never gets out of tune. It needs um, a little oil every 10,000 miles or every two years. And so because of that German engineered roll off speed hub, the price goes up a little bit. But uh, for those that that are um, able to, to put that kind of money out, it's it's really it's well worth it. Brian, I'm impressed, man, because everything you're talking about are objections that I've had, you know, to the yep. use of an e-bike. I mean, I'm just thinking about my big gangly butt up on a bike and then all of a sudden I hit, you know, a big patch of mud or, or heavy ruts and things of that nature. And it's exactly as you just described. I'm pedaling along nice and easy and then all of a sudden I'm in the really thick nasty and I don't need to be you know, switching through the gears at that point. I mean, I already know what's going to have to happen. I'm going to have to stop the bike, get off and, you know, you can't make those switches. So that's huge. And then going out to your part of the woods, you know, having to go from a flat to an incline, you need it right. now. You don't need it. You know, you don't have time to really right. go through the gears. That's a really awesome feature. Right. Yeah, we really tried to, you know, everybody's in different situations or they're, they're in different situations with regards to the areas they hunt and the and the what demands they need uh, are going to be placed on their bike, but also financial, you know, restrictions as well and, and abilities to spend certain amount of money. And so we've put bikes, we've built bikes that are for those guys that are going to be riding the more tame trails that still want all the durability and all of the components and the heavy duty frame that's built for a hunting bike, but maybe isn't going to be used in Western hunting, maybe isn't going to be used for the steep ascents, maybe isn't going to be used in the big mud boggy areas. And so we really kind of have a range of bikes that will fit pretty much any hunter that's out there and you can you can choose what's going to fit you fit you best brian i think you've done a great job of walking joe through his steps and what he needs and you've done great you know we've gave you some objections and you've done great combating them if you were to give some of our listeners you know down here in the in the muddy southeast kind of uh if you had any advice as far as somebody wanting to try one what would you what would you tell our listeners well first off we've got a couple hundred or more wonderful uh, dealers that are Baku authorized dealers throughout the U.S. So you can you can find us at Baku.com online. You can follow us at Baku Life 
on Instagram, uh, YouTube, and Facebook. So you can certainly find us there, or you can and, and you can find our dealers online. You can find them on our website. You can go to our dealer locator map that will show you right where a local dealer is. You certainly can call one of our customer service representatives. One thing that we pride ourselves on is world fashioned. We pick up the phone. We'll, we're happy to chat with you. Uh, we're happy to email back and forth. But if you want to talk to a live person and you want to ask questions and what bike is going to fit you best and what should I go with and, and you have some questions on gear, uh, you can give us a call. We've got customer service representatives in the office from 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. We've got somebody that answers phones on the on Saturdays. We're off on Sundays, uh, but we're happy to answer questions. We want you to make an educated decision on the bike that you purchase, whether it's from us or somebody else. We want you to make sure that that you're educated and you're, you're making an educated purchase. Brian, I love that you guys are a U.S. company. I love that you are listening to your customers, answering questions, fixing problems people are having out in the field. I'm I'm seeing a lot of e-bike manufacturers slapping camo on their road bike and calling it a hunting e-bike, you know, and uh, I can tell from talking to you guys that that's not who you are. Really appreciate you sharing your knowledge here today and helping folks that maybe had kind of ruled e-bikes out you know, helping them maybe consider that this actually might work down here. And then also for folks that are in the market, I thought, I thought you did a really good job of seeing around corners for people troubleshooting issues before they have them and, you know, giving them some things that they can think about in any manufacturer if they're considering a hunting e-bike. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Joe Butch, I appreciate you guys having me. It's, it's been good to talk to you and, um, you know, the, 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 I guess parting thoughts here, one, one of the interesting things that we've found at Baku is, is while we, um, are a fat tire electric hunting bike brand and probably 80% of our customers are hunters, I'll bet 80% of the time they use them in non hunting applications. They're just fun to ride. Yeah. And so we buy them with the intentions of, I'm going to hunt on this thing and they're a game changer for hunting, but don't, don't kid yourself. You're going to ride this even more just on vacation and having fun out at your place. Yep, that's a great point as well, man. Thanks for joining us today, Brian. All right, guys, thank you. All right, folks, we're gonna be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of our sponsors. Field Torque. Introducing the Field Torque Field Dressing Super Tool for hunters. Field Torque is five times faster, safer, and cleaner than conventional field dressing. The Super Tool does it with a bone cutter, flesh cutter, and gut hook all in one. You can tackle elk, deer, hogs, and more without resharpening or replacing blades during the process. The Field Torque Super Tools Bone Cutting Assist design allows for easy pelvic removal and breastplate separation without broken or dull blades, allowing for unobstructed or damaged entrail removal. Includes a heavy-duty sheath and ceramic sharpener. Get yours today at fieldtorque.com and also found on Amazon. Butch, I was surprised at how this interview turned out today because I'm a, I'm a true skeptic of of e-bikes as a whole for hunting in the deep south and I think it's really cool that Brian and the folks over at Baku have solved a lot of the issues at least the issues I could think of being able to get rid of that derailleur being able to switch from from class one to two to three to be that's got to be huge, public man. land legal and then and then have all the performance you'd want on private land well because that would be one of the big issues that i would have is i would want if i'm spending that much money on 
a piece of equipment, I want to be able to use it wherever, whenever, Everywhere. in any application that I want. That's right. Whether I go out west, you know, Wyoming, where, right, whatever, I'll, I'll bring it with me. Yeah, so you want the most versatile. Yeah, you want all the versatility and and just like you say, using it around the house, even you know, anywhere, yeah. a lot of fun. anywhere and everywhere. Um, I, I said it earlier, but there's a lot of companies that are slapping camo on whatever they've got and calling it a hunting e-bike. And sounds like the guys over at Baku have really listened to hunters and their hunters themselves and have designed a product and a range of products that are going to work in the kind of environments we deal with. And I, you know, just thinking about listening, listening to Brian talk. I mean, how many times do you park your UTV or park your, you know, your electric buggy and then you got to walk to your stand to go trim limbs for the season or go, you know, check your stand or do whatever it is you got to do and being able to have that nimble little bike and just take it right to the base of the tree is going to save you a ton of time, ton of energy and allow you to get more done on a weekend. I'm a weekend warrior. I got a lot to do when I'm up there. For sure, man. And one thing that you and I touch on a good bit is downtime. You know, you, you have something that you have to take to the shop all the time or whenever it breaks, you have to take it to the shop. Downtime is a, it's a, it's a time killer. I mean, we don't have that much time with our crazy lives and to be able to, uh, he sounds like, you know, he comes with a little kit, a uh, trail yeah. kit that something goes wrong. You know, you don't have to be a rocket surgeon to figure out how to get that thing back on the trail and get back right. hunting. Yeah. Well, and, it, or you can just, you know, if they're using, you know, easy, easy to find parts, you can get to a bike shop fairly local and get what you need to, to get it back going. Yep. Definitely cool deal. stuff, man. I Very cool that stuff. One. It's going to be interesting to see if, you know, the, the e-bike trend continues throughout throughout the south because i've i've heard a lot of objections to it in the south and uh talking talking to brian it just doesn't sound like those have been overcome for the most part yep i feel like he did a very good job of overcoming obstacles and uh yeah poking holes and and things that we thought were issues well that's gonna wrap it up for us this week appreciate you joining us we want to make it easy for you to listen so here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377 again just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377 you'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts go ahead subscribe rate and review send us a written review we'd love to hear from you if you got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's show is brought to you by Alabama Ag Credit. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. And also Bucks Island Marine. Bucks Island is a full-service facility that sells new and used boats and motors. Visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also, Texas Hunter. Since 1954, Texas Hunter Products has delivered the finest quality fish and game feeders and hunting blinds in the industry. To learn more, visit texashunter.com. And also, Mallard Bay Outdoors. Book your next guided hunting or fishing trip with thoroughly vetted guides or charters. Built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Mallardbay.com. And also brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. They now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. 